First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We have a seat. There is one work, there is one activity that only we who are part of, the, part of Jesus' church can do. We must be a church who prays. So why is it? Why is prayer of all activities we can do in terms of societal betterment, in terms of political action and engagement, why is that the one that Paul zeroes in on here in 1 Timothy? Why does Paul say the church must pray? Why must we be a church who prays? Firstly, a praying church loves our neighbors. Verses, verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Have you ever wondered how to pray in love? How to pray for your neighbors? Here's a good list. And these are not distinct from prayer, these supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving, but they're all different facets of prayer, facets of a jewel. So these are not terms that we use every day. So let's unpack these a little bit. Supplications. What does that mean? This is where there is, we know that there is a need. And we bring that need to the Lord. We ask Him to supply for the need. Or if we want a blessing or a benefit for someone, we pray in supplication. Next, prayers. And this is the general term. And the reason this one's in this list is because Paul wants us to know that when we pray, we're not just voicing our thoughts out loud to ourselves. Prayer is always directed towards someone. And we are not to pray to ourselves, nor to our fellow people, nor to the air, nor to false gods, but to God himself, who is able to hear our prayers and answer them. So he urges supplications, prayers, and third, intercessions. What are intercessions? This is where the church shines at its best because it is most like Jesus and the Holy Spirit at this moment. Intercessions is where we step in the gap on behalf of someone. We go to bat for them. We lift them up when they can't or aren't coming before the Lord. When we pray, we are. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, as Romans 8 says. And in Hebrews, it says that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. So when we do that, we are acting like our Lord in prayer. And finally, thanksgivings. The laundry list, the, the checklist of things to pray for is pretty easy. Thanksgivings. We are to give thanks 
to God. And what are we to give thanks to God for? Both that he hears our prayers for someone and we are to thank God for the person for whom we're praying. How often do we do that? Lord, thank you for so-and-so who I want to bless. How often do we do that? Prayer, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. These are how we pray in love. But we in the church often have a problem, don't we? These aspects of prayer are great, but we often limit ourselves in them to Lord bless us or Lord bless those we love and already care about. We, are, we, want, we love and we want good for our kids, for our parents, for our friends, and those are okay. But a lawyer once asked Jesus to justify himself, and who is my neighbor, Jesus? And who did, Jesus, well, who did Jesus cite as a neighbor? Who does Paul say we are to pray for? Who is our neighbor? Short answer, everyone is. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made, what does it say, for all people. So yes, it includes you, your kids, family, and friends. But so much more. So many more. We as the church are given the privilege to bring people before the Lord who may have never had a single person pray a single thing for them except for their destruction or condemnation. And we get the privilege to do this irrespective of ethnicity, sex, socioeconomic status, geography, or even morality. We get to bring them before the Lord. That means that the winners of the Axarban Family Farm Award and the man put in prison for hauling around heroin and meth are both to be prayed for. But Paul isn't done. Who is my neighbor? The government is. Verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions. It's a both and. But what if I didn't vote for them, Aaron? God says to Paul, I urge that kings and all who are in high positions. We may not have a national king, but we have high political offices who are in authority over us. And as we read at the beginning, Daniel chapter 9, he sets up kings and deposes them. God does. And these are to be prayed for by us, the church, the only group on this planet who can do that. What if I don't like them? What if I despise them, Aaron? All the more reason to pray. You want them left to their own devices or to the, in the hands of the Lord? And how do we pray for them? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. In a few days, our nation is going to get ready, as it's been getting ready, for a potential turnover of positions of authority or a continuation for those already in positions of authority. So here's the question for us as a church. Will we shout at their faces when we see them on TV 
and smear their names and administrations all over the internet? Or will we obey God's command to bring these people before the Lord in prayer? We must be a church that prays. And a praying church loves our neighbors. Why else must we be a church that prays? Why else? Some Christians have really struggled to pray this way. Maybe you struggle to pray this way. And one reason often given is that, well, why should we pray this way? God is sovereign and he's going to do what he's going to do. And the government is going to act how it's going to act and people are going to be people, so why be a church that prays? God Can't God handle things on his own anyway? Second, a praying church pleases God. Look with me at verse 3 really quick. We'll come back to the end of verse 2. But look with me at verse 3. This is good. What is good? Prayer. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Prayer for all people, for kings and those in high positions, pleases God. He says prayer is good, and it's not only good, it pleases God. It makes God happy. Christians, not to mention the world, are running every which way, trying to find out what God's will is, what pleases him. <laughs> so let's give thanks that this passage is in, this script, in the scriptures, because this one's clear. A praying church pleases God. This is God's will for his people. So how do we please God as we pray? First, we please God by seeking what he desires for us. Back to verse 2. We are urged to pray for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Did you really think that God wanted us to pray for all people and for our government because he doesn't love us, because he just wants to inconvenience us? No. He desires for us, the people of God, to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And one of the reasons we have trouble praying this way for all people and especially for our government is that we want the results apart from the work. I mean, I don't know about you. I, am, I certainly am. I'm happy to pray for peace and quiet for myself. Lord, I could use some peace and quiet. But praying, being reminded of those who might be contributing to how chaotic, noisy, ungodly, and undignified our lives are? Scripture says, such were all of us before Christ saved us and his church lifted us up in prayer. Such an attitude that wants results without the work of loving our neighbors is not in keeping with what pleases God. It is not, it's not seeking what he desires for us, and not seeking what he desires for us is called sin. And we need to repent of it and be forgiven. He doesn't want peace and quiet for us for where we can get on with our own lives. 
He wants us to pray for our neighbors and governments so that we'll have a peaceful and quiet life that is full of his desire for us. What does it say? Godly and dignified in every way. We not only please God by seeking what he desires for us, secondly, we please God by desiring what he desires for every person. Verse 4, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who what? Desires all people to come to the knowledge, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why does God want us to have peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way? Because he wants his gospel to reach all people. There's a famous quote in Christianity. You may know it. It says that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You heard that? Basically saying where persecution is, the gospel spreads. And it's true that God uses persecution for people to come to faith. And we, as a church, should never, ever be surprised should it come. But Christianity seems to spread a little more fast when there's not opposition every step of the way. I mean, the Apostle Paul and the other missionaries in the early church experienced great success with the gospel in the Roman Empire because God used the government's Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, to make road travel relatively safe, to discourage people from just automatically rioting, to allow churches to be established instead of shut down immediately. And that people, the Apostle Paul being one of them, were able to preach and teach in synagogues and open-air theaters. It meant that they could show godliness and dignity, the transformation of the gospel, more openly. And people could see and hear what God desires for every person. And those people... Seeing and hearing that included emperors, presidents, senators, congresspeople, judges, sheriffs, governors, commissioners, and so on. And it was to show them what? That God desires everyone to be saved. Saved from sin, from God's wrath against sin, and to be saved to Christ, to eternal life to come to the knowledge of the truth, to know what's real and to grow in what's real. Now we know that when it says God desires all people to be saved, it does not mean that all people will be saved. Not everyone who hears the gospel receives it and believes it. But as God says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? We please God by desiring what he desires for every person. A praying church pleases God. So we must be a church that prays, that who prays. But in all of this, there's still a burning question that this text still needs to answer because we can talk every Sunday service that people need to be rescued and know the truth. 
We can have conversations about how we all need to be rescued and know the truth. But all of our intention to love our neighbor, to please God, doesn't mean anything. Our gospel means nothing. Our neighbors and governing officials are left without hope, and we as the church are not firmly rooted if we don't know and trust who does the saving and who the truth is. Why must we be a church that prays? Who prays? Thirdly, a praying church knows the Savior. Paul ends this section by saying this, verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Why does Paul end this with an argument, end this call to pray for all people, for kings and those in high positions, with this statement. First, we pray knowing that there is a real Savior. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Many today are looking to lots of other gods and mediators. One of the gods of today is the state. It's one thing to be passionate in, po- in politics. It is idolatry to call the president a savior, as Q Anon does. It is idolatry to look at, to the state to meet all of the unmet needs of, si- of society. Why? There is one God. And we Christians ought not to get suckered as to who really provides for our needs. We are not praying just to any God out there. We are not talking to the air when we pray. Because of Jesus Christ, we are praying to the real Savior, God, who has sent His Son in the flesh to be our mediator, to meet our greatest need. Well, what does mediator mean? It's true, but what does it mean? It means we pray knowing the Savior who stands for God and for us. Because of our sins, we can't come into the presence of a holy God. We can't rescue ourselves from the sins which keep us from Him. Neither can our neighbors, neither can our government officials, We can't come into God's presence. But he can come to us. And he did in sending his son, who is both fully God and fully man, able to represent the holiness and justice and love of God the Father and able to represent the obedience, love, and freedom we don't have on our own, but that he gives us by being our ransom. Well, there's another term, isn't it? What's ransom? What does that mean? We not only pray knowing the Savior who stands for God and for us, we pray knowing the Savior pays the price instead of us. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6 verse 23 declares. We owe God payment for our sinning against him. And if we pay for our sin on our own, 
if our neighbor, if our president, if our senators, if our judges, etc., pay for their sin on their own as the world tells them that they can, they pay with their lives and are eternally lost. No human life can satisfy an infinite offense against an infinite God. No one, no king on this earth, no government on this earth can pay for the sins of others. But here, the text tells us that Jesus, who is God and man, is a sufficient ransom. He can pay. And his blood is sufficient to cover the sins of every man, woman, and child in history, past, present, and future, if they believe him. That's why we must be a church that prays. That they would know the real Savior as well. That they would believe the real Savior as well. For there is no name under heaven by which men must be saved except Lord Jesus Christ. And because the Savior is God and he stands for God and for us and pays the price for us instead of us, we pray knowing the Savior who is the message our neighbors need. There is one God, the scripture says, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus is the right message at the right time. And God has always had a bigger agenda for our prayer than the short-term temporal needs of others. It's good to bring all these things before the Lord. If somebody's sick, we ought to pray. If somebody needs a car, we ought to pray. If somebody's going through a rough patch, we ought to pray. And we ought to pray for the success of our government officials. Why would we want them to fail? It is good to bring those before the Lord, but a president, a senator, a congressperson, a judge, a mayor, a commissioner needs more than just prayer for two, four, six, or more years of successful holding of office. Our neighbors need more prayer than just that things would go well for them in this life. They need assurance that things will go well for them in the life to come. So in all our supplication, our prayers, our intercessions, our thanksgivings, we need to be about there knowing the same Savior that we do. No one else can do that for them. Jonathan Lehman, in a very timely book called How the Nations Rage, Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age. He wrote that government is not the Savior, but can serve the Savior's ends. He writes this, quote, We don't want a government that thinks it can offer redemption, but a government that views its work as a prerequisite of redemption for all its citizens. It builds the streets so that you can drive to church. It protects the womb so that you can live and hear the gospel. 
It insists on fair lending and housing practices so that you can own a home and offer hospitality to non-Christians. It works for education so that you can read and teach your children the Bible. It protects marriage and the family so that husbands can model Christ's love for the church. It polices the streets so that you are, you are free to assemble as churches unmolested and to make an honest living so that you can give money to the work of God. Now, you might disagree with government involvement in any of these examples, but it's the grid we need to see and adopt. Government renders judgment to establish peace, order, and prosperity so that the church might do what God calls it to do and what God calls the praying church who knows the Savior to do is to pray. We must be a praying church. The church can do what no one else can do. A praying church loves our neighbors. A praying church pleases God. A praying church knows the Savior. We must be a church who prays. But we cannot be a praying church if we don't pray. It's good to be taught to pray. It's good to consider how to pray for our neighbors and our governing officials. But we cannot be hearers of prayer only. We must be doers. We must be a church who prays. So, this morning, would you obey God's word with me as we pray, I'm going to make an attempt, a flawed human attempt, to pray for our nation's leaders. I say that to say that this is not definitive in the way to pray for all people, for kings and those in positions of authority but may it encourage all of us to make supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings for all people, for kings and all in high positions. Let's be a church who prays. Father in heaven, thank you that you command us what is good and that you transcend all the things that we as a church can get stuck in. And so, Lord, this morning we want to obey, and we need your help to obey. Father, we pray for our city, for the mayor, county commission, for the city council. And we pray for our county, for the commissioners, for the judges, for the sheriff's office. Lord, some of them know you, but we, we pray that all of them would know you. And we pray, Lord, that they would lead and govern in light of who you are and what you have said. And we thank you for them. Lord, there are churches, and you know, around the world today who cannot meet in a public like this not because of coronavirus, but because if they did, they would all be burned alive. Lord, we are blessed by the governing authorities that you have put in place in this nation. So we give you thanks for them. And we ask that you would help them to be successful in their work, 
Father, we pray for our state, for our governor, for our state legislator, for the state Supreme Court, that they would lead well, that for the courts that they would render just and right decisions that accord with your word, that they're not opposed to it. We pray that the legislature would legislate laws that are in accord with your word, that help people flourish. We pray, Father, for our nation. We pray for our executive branch of government, for the president and his cabinet. Lord, we pray that they would succeed in doing your will for government. We thank you for them. We thank you for the legislative branch, Senate and the Congress. We thank you that you have given positions to men and women to serve this nation. And Lord, we ask that you would bring them to know and trust you. We pray that for the executive branch as well. Lord, that they would see their role in light of eternity. That it would not be, they would not lead or govern for short-term gain. that your gospel would be able to go forward more freely. We also lift up the Supreme Court and national courts. And we ask, Father, that those judges would know you and trust you. That you would grant them to interpret the laws of this nation well. Lord, that in our government bearing the sword, as your word says, oh Lord, please grant them wisdom, for that is a very, very, very heavy task that they have, and they need to be very, very careful. And Lord, we confess that every one of the areas that we have prayed for this morning have been abused in this nation. And Lord, we as the people, as we put, say in this nation, governed for the people, by the people, we as the people in this nation need you just as much. Lord, help us not to make the state the God it was never meant to be. Help us, Lord, as the church to remember who we are and what we are to be about in this world. That there are some things that the state has been given authority to do that we aren't, and that there are some things that the state has not been given authority to do that we are. We ask for wisdom. And most of all, in that wisdom, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us with love, lest we destroy people. 
made in your image. Lord, you know the needs of every heart here. You know the needs of every heart all over the world. And we thank you. We thank you for all of them, wicked though they might be. For apart from your grace, we have no hope either. Thank you that you are a God who is faithful. Thank you that you hear the prayers of your church. Thank you that our prayers are pleasing to you. And Lord, thank you that we know you. Thank you that we know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Thank you that we can worship him. And thank you, Lord, that we can desire and see you answer that desire to bring people to faith in him. And so we submit all these things to you today. All these people who desperately need you and we submit ourselves to you praying all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.